Hello and welcome back to History with Jackson. This video of the English and British Monarch series is sponsored by the Historians magazine. You can find loads of great and informative articles by historians from across the world within this magazine. And my latest article, The Starless State, State to Prove Terrorism, is in the latest edition. So I'd really encourage you guys to go and check out the Historians magazine and it has loads of great work in it. The links to the Historians magazine will be in the description below. Now I'm finally feeling well enough just to get back into this and start looking at the English and British monarchy series and picking up right where we left off by looking at Edward I. Now, as always, we will look at who he was, his early life, his reign, his death, and then bring that all together to analyse whether he was a good king or not. Now, about 40% of you who are watching are subscribed or followers on our platform. So if you're not already subscribed or following, please click the subscribe or follow button before carrying on to watch the video. It really helps us out and it helps us grow and reach more people. So without further ado, let's jump into it and learn about Edward I. Who was Edward I? Now Edward was born in 1239 at the Palace of Westminster to Henry III and Eleanor of Provence. Henry named him after his idol, Edward the Confessor, and Edward grew to be a large and imposing man of about six foot two. He also became a renowned warrior and swordsman. So what was Edward's early life like? Well, Edward became a key pawn in his father's actions from an early age, and owing to the growing power of Castile and its threat to Gascony, Edward was married to Eleanor of Castile to create a lasting alliance between England and Castile to protect Henry's continental possessions. Edward didn't always have the best of relationships with his father. Despite his father bestowing lands upon Edward, Edward rarely ever saw the revenue from these lands as it either went to his father or one of the major barons who controlled the land on behalf of Edward. One example of Edward getting involved with conflicts that his father didn't want him to get involved with and supporting people that his father didn't want him to get, get support from or give support to was in 1259 when Edward gained the support and supported Simon de Montfort in France to protect his own lands. And in Henry's absence from England, Edward promoted Simon de Montfort's supporters in government. However, after Henry III returned to England, Edward and Henry reconciled. And after de Montfort's exile from England, Edward became a staunch supporter of royal power and Henry's own personal authority. And he took control of the royalist forces in the Second Baronial War and defeated Simon de Montfort and the barons. Now, after this victory, Edward went off on crusade. 
the crusade that Edward went off on was largely unsuccessful. In 1272, Edward received news that his father had passed away and began to make his way home. So what was Edward's reign like? Now, whilst Edward had been declared king in 1272, he did not manage to return home until 1274. And upon his return, Edward was coronated and he received homage from Alexander III of Scotland. This homage gave Edward a large amount of control over Britain, but he did not have much control over Wales, as Llewellyn refused to pay homage to Edward. In punishment for refusing to pay homage, Edward declared war on Wales and Llewellyn in 1276. He managed to gain control over Wales, but allowed Llewellyn to stay as Prince of Wales. However, in 1282, this conflict reignited and Edward fully conquered Wales and killed Llewellyn in the process. He incorporated Wales into the English kingdom, imposing English laws and initiating a massive castle building programme to fully let the Welsh know who was in control. To fully consolidate control over Wales, Edward later had his son made Prince of Wales. In 1286, Alexander III of Scotland passed away, leaving his three-year-old daughter, Margaret, as the heir. Now, she passed away in 1290, and this threw the Scottish throne into a succession crisis. Now, Edward, as the overlord of Scotland, got involved in this crisis and appointed John Balliol as the King of Scotland. However, John Balliol angered Edward by allying himself with France. And in response to this, Edward marched into Scotland, arrested John Balliol and took the throne for himself, removed the Scottish crown jewels and the Scone stone from Scotland to show his control over the country. William Wallace then rebelled against Edward's rule of Scotland and defeated him in battle in 1297. The following year, Edward returned to Scotland and defeated Wallace in battle as well. John Balliol then appointed John Comyn as his regent in Scotland and they defeated the English at the Battle of Roslyn. In response to this defeat, Edward mounted a full-scale invasion of Scotland and he defeated John Comyn in battle and took control of Scotland. And then in 1305, he had Wallace executed. Now, we've clearly shown that Edward was a skilled warrior, but what was he like at home? Now, at home, he made a series of reforms and issued several statutes. And one of these statutes was the Statute of Jewry. The Statute of Jewry required the Jews of England to wear yellow badges and to prevent them from lending money with interest. This statute was then followed by the expulsion of the Jews from England in 1290. This was done as the Jews had fulfilled their economic 
usefulness to Edward. And by expelling them, he was able to seize their property and raise money with Parliament for their various military campaigns. Edward was able to do this as the Jews in England were seen as Edward's own personal property and their property, by extension, was his. This wave of Edwardian anti-Semitism stemmed from the 1270s and featured arrests and executions. Edward also reformed Parliament at the 1295 model Parliament. This Parliament not only included members from the clergy and the lords, but two knights and two representatives from each borough. This Parliament gave Edward the right to raise taxes in order to fund his military campaigns. Edward also reformed the courts, creating the King's Bench, the Court of Common Pleas and the Court of the Exchequer. These three branches made it easier for judgments to be passed and for the right areas to deal with the right cases. Edward also fulfilled the first duty of kingship, which was to produce an heir. As he had between 14 and 16 children of Eleanor of Castile, five of which were boys, and he had three children with Margaret of France, two of which were boys. So he clearly made his heir and several spares in order to continue the dynasty. In 1306, Edward's Scottish ally, Robert the Bruce, turned on him and murdered the regent of Scotland and declared himself king. Now, in response to this, Edward marched north to issue a punishment. Edward's journey north began in 1307, but he developed dysentery before being able to defeat Robert the Bruce in battle. He left his fifth and eldest son, Edward, as his heir. Now, was Edward a good king? Now, Edward I, the person and his reign, have been subject to much academic debate. Many Scots believed and believe that Edward was a cruel and vindictive king. But you only need to look at lists of the greatest English kings to see the English perspective of how highly rated Edward was and still is. Now we can see that Edward was a very very skilled military commander and he was able to rebuild the respect for the crown during and after his father's reign. He also made substantial and lasting changes to English government. However, Edward could be cruel and vindictive and we can see this in his treatment towards the Jews during his reign. However, it's important to remember not to treat the past or judge the past with the standards of today. And Edward's anti-Semitism was commonplace for the time. My judgment is that Edward was the king that England needed at the time and he was a good king of the period. Now, as always, I'm going to recommend some books that you guys can go away and look at to learn more about Edward. Now, first of all, it's you probably know the books already, but it's Simon Sharma's 
The History of Britain, Volume 1. This book is really great. It has pictures and diagrams so you can understand the battles and the movements just a little bit easier. I think it's got a great section on Edward I. Secondly is a really accessible narrative book which makes the period easy to understand. It's Dan Jones, The Plantagenets, The Kings Who Made England. This is a really, really good book and I really enjoy this one actually. And then secondly, if you want quick sailing guys to each of the kings and queens of England or Britain. I recommend Gwen's Kings and Queens. Now, as always, the links to the all of these books will be in the description below. Now, recently I've had some really exciting news. Uh, my book, The Crystallization of Totalitarianism, is now available on Amazon as Kindle, paperback and hardback editions. Now, it's been a lot of work across the course of a year and a half and I'm really happy to be able to make this available for all of you guys. Now, if you want to stay up, stay up to date with everything History of Jackson related, all the links to the social medias will be in the description below. The History of Jackson podcast is now available on a multitude of platforms and you'll be able to access that in the link below. Now, if you want all of those in one place, please head to www.historywithjackson.co.uk. You can find the videos, the podcasts, my articles and my book all on the website. And if you want to support what we do here at History of Jackson, please head to the Buy Me A Coffee profile in the link below. Now, thank you very much for watching, guys. I'm really happy to be back and producing content for you guys to watch and learn from. So join us next week where we're talking about Edward's son and heir, Edward. Thank you very much, guys.